Welcome to the Abracadam Podcast, and I'm your host, stand-up comedy magician, Danny Whitson. I hope my Abracadamits are grinding, getting it done, getting it done this week. I know I'm getting it done, yes. And I'm also feeling a little nostalgic. Yeah, last night, me and Antoinette watched the Friends reunion show on HBO Max, and I gotta say, man, we enjoyed it. It was nice. It was interesting to get to see behind the scenes, seeing some old funny episodes, and kind of what the cast looked like now, you know, uh, even with the Botox. It was still interesting. Uh, I know Courtney Cox's lips are like 10 times bigger than what they used to be, but hey, still cool to see them, man. Uh, definitely, we were fans of the show back in the day. And I gotta be honest, it's got me thinking, damn, I really miss the 90s, y'all. I miss it. I don't know what it is. It seems like everything was better in the 90s. Maybe it's just me getting old. I don't know. But that was my decade. I really miss you, 90s. I would like to go back in time and just tell everybody. It's like, dude, nah. Nah, nah, nah. You don't want to go much further. You don't. You don't want to go too much further. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Maybe tell, uh, maybe break uh, Kurt and Courtney up and uh, tell Tupac to stay out of Las Vegas, bro. So, yeah. Also, I want to do this. Um, I want to give a big shout-out to my boy, Dirt Reynolds. Dirt Reynolds for giving the Abracadam podcast a review. He said it was great content. So, thank you so much, Dirt Reynolds. I know who you are, and you are my brother from another mother. I love you, man. Thank you for the good review. Anyways, let's get into uh, some of our sponsors here for the Abracadam podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Rosie Tattoos. Custom tattoos designed to suit your style in a friendly and clean environment. Guys, I was just at Rosie's the other week. Got some ink work done. Her staff is amazing. Rosie is amazing. Also, met a new friend out there, Demo, my man. He does piercings. So if you ever want to get any piercings done, I highly recommend checking him out there too at Rosie's. Rosie gets free consolations online through Facebook Messenger or Instagram, or you can email Rosie at rosytattoos at yahoo.com. Be sure to check Rosie out at 570 Kingston Pike, Knoxville, Tennessee, or give her a call at 865-281-3451. You know you want some ink work done. You know you want some tatties. So be sure to check out Rosie Tattoos. Now let's be honest. Every now and then, we all need to take the edge off just a little bit, right? So today's episode is brought to you by Liz's Wine and Spirits. Now folks, I can't recommend a better place to go if you need to take the edge off and get your sippy sip on. At Liz's Wine and Spirits, they have anything you could imagine that you want to drink, okay? They've got wine, they've got beer, they've got whiskey, so many varieties, anything in the world you could ever want to drink. And also, if they don't have it, they will get it. So definitely, when you're looking to take the edge off, check out Liz's Wine and Spirits located at 1505 Oak Ridge Turnpike, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Check them out on the internet at Liz'sWineAndSpirits.com and give them a call at 865-483-5080. All right, Abracadamits. Today's guest is somebody who uh, I saw for the first time during the quarantine on Facebook Live videos. Um, he is a an amazing juggler, but it's not just juggling. Don't get me wrong, juggling's cool, but what this guy does, he does the craziest stuff you've ever seen. It's things that you wouldn't even imagine that somebody could even do. You know, he's juggling some crazy objects. He's throwing basketballs over his head, making it in the basket. Uh, he, he, it's just some of the craziest stuff you've ever seen. Very entertaining to watch. And he's a funny guy as well. Uh, you can definitely check him out on YouTube too. But he's been on TV, America's Got Talent, everywhere you name it. And some very interesting stories this guy has been on the stage with. And he has met some super famous people. So, uh, if you will, Abracadamits, set back and relax and enjoy my fun conversation with comedy juggler Michael Rayner. All right, we got Michael Rayner here. How you doing today, Michael? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Abracadam podcast. Now, uh, if you don't mind... 
Now, I, I know, you know, jugglers, magicians, a lot of people know who you are. But if you don't mind, will you please let my listeners know who you are? Awesome. Well, uh, I'm Michael Rayner, but also uh, if you if you're familiar with social media, I'm Broken Juggler on Instagram and I'm Broken underscore Juggler on TikTok. Uh, I know I'm a 58 year old on TikTok. That's fantastic. It's crazy. Uh, and also, uh, I do weird juggling tricks. Uh, so a few regular ones. My signature one that you might have seen on like the Late Show with David Letterman or the James Corden Show or America's Got Talent is I spin a cheeseburger on a parasol. That's kind of like the thing that you might have seen me on. And it's kind of gone viral on some of the social media. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it along with a bunch of other tricks, balancing wheelbarrows on my face. Uh, doing trick shots now on social media. And um, I, I started many, 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 many moons ago. Uh, I, was, I was 18 years old. I had nothing going on. I graduated high school. I had a 1.97 grade point average, which is a C minus in a small town in Michigan. And uh, right before graduation, my class went to New York City and we saw a play in New York City called Sugar Babies with, I'm dating myself, with Mickey Rooney, old time movie actor. And uh, there was a juggler in that named Michael Davis. And it was like, there was these epiphany moments and I had an epiphany moment, like that's a thing. And then I just, uh, that summer after high school, I started practicing and two years later, I uh, started doing shows. So. There, that's the that's the condensed version. Now you can take it over and and ask me what what paths we're going to go down. Well, okay, you know, and and eighteen years old, so that's kind of like a late bloomer for a, a lot of you know entertainers like stuff like juggling and and I know for magicians it is they usually get a kit. I was around that age whenever I got interested as well into performing. Now, so you saw that you and which got you interesting. Had you ever done any juggling before, before that? Nothing at no. all? No. Uh, here's the thing. I was 18, terrible athlete in high school. This shoulder blade was broken because uh, uh, I, I tried to be on the football team and I was just terrible. And this got, this is, this fused wrong. So my shoulders like that. Uh, when I was in 10th grade, I got knocked unconscious because I was part of the scrubs team where they had the, the, the athletic kids beat the crap out of the scrubs. Because um, anybody that went out for football could be on the team to then get beat up on. Uh, I, when I was a senior in high school, I had nothing, but I, I went from being complete introvert, not being able to talk to people, to then all of a sudden becoming an extrovert for, in show business. And then when I saw that performer, I was like, and then also some, to some extent, Michael Davis and Steve Martin both, because Steve Martin had a lot of juggling and magic and music. Those two people together influenced me to then just start practicing, just start practicing. And uh, man, it was like, uh, when I graduated, a lot of my college friends went to college. I just went to a local college. I didn't really have a lot of friends. It was like two years of a lot of solitude and just, um, just uh, like three, four, five hours. I'm sure you, for yourself, probably you had to make up time. I had to make up time because I didn't start when I was like a lot of these wonder kid magicians and jugglers start when they're like eight years old or five or even younger. You know, I, I spent a lot of time. I remember uh, just, you know, just early, just getting married and I was uh, a young father. And I remember I was a uh, I was a janitor at a high school, and I would get done with my my clean my little area, and I would go to the teachers' lounge, and I would practice magic all night long, you know. And I'm like you, I felt like I had to catch up. I had to I had to be a certain area, and you know, now I can't juggle. I'm a horrible juggler, but I will say this one one thing that uh, the closest I can come to juggling is uh, doing the I don't know if you're familiar with like well the inertia like an inertia pass. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I know it, it was related to a juggling technique and I can remember working that job, standing over the couch inside the teacher's lounge there and practicing that a million times because I would drop it a million times too, you know? So, but uh, yeah, much respect to you. And, and this is the other thing, you know, the listeners, if they have not saw what you do on social media right now, it's totally, th this, this conversation 
isn't even close to coming to justice to some of the things that I see you do on Facebook, Michael. It's right. absolutely, we're not talking about just your normal juggling. We're talking about, I mean, basketballs going into hoops and it, balancing boots on your nose. And I mean, all kinds of crazy, insane things, man. It's super entertaining and I enjoy watching it. Well, you know, I, I got two points. One, we, I don't really, I, I can't believe we have the same thing. I was 18. I went to the University of Michigan Flint College and I was the janitor. <laughs> I was the janitor. Uh, I would go to school, then I would be the janitor for four hours. And then I would go out to where the big uh, industrial, um, like uh, where you throw the garbage was. And then we would actually have a compactor because it was a university and it was, it was quite large. Across the way, this is like cinematic. I would, I would practice, you know, when I got on free time, I would do my janitorial stuff. And then I saw past the, uh, the big uh, 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 compactor, this, this thing being constructed like every day constructed. Then I went the next year, I was a sophomore. And then all of a sudden it was finished. It was an amusement park in Flint, Michigan called Auto World. That was the two years I was practicing and being a janitor. Then I went over, I walked across the street and auditioned and got in. And that, that started the, uh, the, that started the journey. So we both had, had our janitor journey. <laughs> uh, and then the social media, I'm 58. I was like, I'm not, this is, I'm not huge on this, but COVID much like all the performers I know struck and we would have summers, 120 shows wiped out, just vanish. And I said, I'm going to commit myself to social media just to, just to stay current and to get another fan base. And through that, I just committed to at least one or two posts a day, the best I could. And then things started hitting. And then I, right, I just crossed over to 4 million likes on TikTok. And, and it, I've had like, like eight or nine videos go over a million views. One is like at 5 million views. And then Instagram went from like 1,500 to like uh, 18,900. Through that, people have started hiring me to do Zoom shows all across the, you know, like uh, in England, uh, Portland, Denver. And I'm here in my house today. I did 1-800-Flowers and it was in New Jersey. And so awesome. through this pandemic, it caused all of us to rethink now i still want to do live shows that's yeah. my i love it but now we have another venue like hey somebody really loves us they can't afford to fly us in they can zoom us in so it's a win-win once we get through the pandemic so there you go you know i think uh first of all now i i've done a few virtual shows i have and i do prefer live by far i as a matter of fact i just i just got back from this weekend performing at the, uh the comedy zone out in south carolina but what was interesting is uh, you talk about TikTok, how you've gained a big popularity on, on TikTok. The, my, my opener, Shelly Bailey, she's a big TikTok star and she had only been doing, she'd only been doing comedy a year. So, but she, 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 she gained all these followers on TikTok. So she got out and started learning stand-up comedy. And now she's getting booked on a lot of shows and had a lot of success with this. Uh, well What's, what's, what does she do? I wonder, cause I always look at all the TikTokers. What is her? Character? She, Shelly does uh she, she's like this almost like Southern lady. It sits on the porch, her front porch. I've seen her. I, yeah, I, yeah. I follow her. <laughs> no, I just, when you said the name, I was like, I know her. And now, now that you explained to her, yes, a hundred percent. No, she's fantastic. And I yeah. was, I often say, I know this is deviating from us, but whenever there's somebody that I think it's really, we, we get fixated on SNL and being famous in a certain way. She created a character that doesn't need to get permission by gatekeepers, which is fantastic. I totally agree. I agree with that. That's the thing I love about kind of where things are going with those platforms. Now, you know, I do still have to learn how to, to use TikTok and use some of those platforms. I'm, I'm horrible at it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is, it is changing the game in a lot of ways. It really is. And with what you do is, is kind of different. Now I will say this, Michael, um, this is, uh, an opinion that on the, for magic, at least with, um, virtual shows, 
I don't think virtual shows are going away any anywhere. I don't think they're ever going to leave. I think they'll always be an option. But um, I think it can. Uh, I just hope it doesn't water down the performing skill of an entertainer. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, no, absolutely, absolutely. Because um, and and there's so many so many ways I can go with this question. When I'm doing my TikToks, sometimes it takes me 20, 30, 40 tries to get exactly what I want. When I go to a live show, I have to get it right, right there. <laughs> so that said, I see a lot of people on TikTok where they're doing trick shots and I know you can't do a live show. So, and the same thing with magic, you can, you can finesse a trick where uh, it looks great on TikTok, but when you've got people surrounding you in a, a close-up venue, uh, you can flash at any single time. So you can't control the environment. So in a way, you know, it's, it's these people are own, the ones that sometimes just rely on that, they're stuck there. My goal, and I'm sure other people's goal, is to use this to always go live so that, um, 80, I would say 85% of the tricks I do on my social media, I can do live in a, in one try basketball shots. No, but I'm not really bringing a basketball hoop, you know, to my thing, you know, uh, that was at that all, a lot of the shots that I do, the trick shots that I did just was out of the fact that I'm trying to do a trick every day after I did the regular tricks that are on my show, I got to think of new stuff. You know what I mean? And, and, and then I started doing stuff in reverse, weird balloon animals in reverse and bizarre things. And so, so it just, it, it, it 85% of my show I can do from my TikTok. The other 15%, no, it's camera tricks going in reverse or trick shots, you know, off my roof with a basket. So. You know, and, and I have seen like a lot of comics, uh, you know, make their TikTok videos. And then when they come to the stage, they struggle. Now, I will say this. I do want to give another shout out to Shelly. Shelly is a rare situation, uh, Michael, because she'd only been doing stand up a year, but she's good. Oh, no, she's a natural. She just has so a, she's a, a natural. She, she is probably was one of those people that really had a grasp for it, but it never occurred to her. Because it's not something, say, I mean, I don't know if she does come from a small Southern town, but a lot of times you're dissuaded. There's a certain expectation you get a job, things in show business. I mean, I come from a small town in Michigan. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. When you come from a small town, like my kids are now legacies. They're growing up in Hollywood. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, they, they've seen, they've got, uh, my friends are people that are on TV, you know, and, and so their legacies, but when you're in a small town to figure out how to ever, A, get in front of an audience regularly, B, get on TV is just a huge, huge chasm, you know? So yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I'll tell you what, so with juggling it is, is so, you know, there, there's not so much, it, it's a learned muscle memory skill. So, I mean, how starting out juggling, how many, how many hours a day were you practice normally? It was, you know, three to four. And, and then it was the, here's the thing. It was sometimes because I'm from Michigan, you know, it would, it would get bitter cold and you couldn't go outside. So uh, there was a church camp down, like, and I lived on a dirt road. I, I know people, that, people that like, I'm, I'm pretty country, even though I live in LA now and people don't ever know that I'm pretty country because I hunt and fish. I, we ate frog legs. And you know, <laughs> when people talk about, Oh, I can't believe people are eating bats in China. I ate frog legs. It's yeah. the same thing. Don't criticize. I know people down in Louisiana eating every kind of crazy stuff. So don't tell me about Chinese people eating bats. We eat a lot of country weird stuff. Tur we I can't tell you how many times we had snapping turtle soup. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so uh, we, I lived on a dirt road and then down the dirt road, I was friends with the owner of a church camp that had a gymnasium. Now it wasn't heated, but when we get into the, you know, the cold months in Michigan, I can't go outside. I can't practice in the house. So I would load up the car, drive down two miles down the road, dirt road. And he would give me the keys to the gymnasium and it was still cold but it didn't have wind chill and I would be just me and all my juggling stuff 
three, four hours. And then I'm going to date myself. I didn't even have a Walkman during those days. It was a boom box. It was just a boom box. I was John Cusack all of a sudden standing there with my boom box, wanting somebody to love me, you know? So I had a boom box and yeah, I just, uh, you know, I'd play, play the tunes and practice the tricks in this gymnasium. Okay. And now also I want to add this too, because this is, uh, your, your act is funny. You, you, you're a funny guy on stage. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I've watched you and, and that's something almost totally completely different. So where did you go to learn to be entertaining? Not just because I, oh, I have seen jugglers question. that they just juggle. Yes, know? that's oh, this we got a lot. We now, now we can go. <laughs> we can get started on this. And that is something that's so interesting because a it's sort of the relationship with the audience comes first, you know, trying to be funny with the audience. There's so many great magicians and jugglers that sort of cut themselves off from having an experience with the audience. You know what I mean? I've seen so many jugglers that can just shred, like they can do amazing things, but they're never really acknowledging, you know? Uh, same thing with, I see coin guys, card guys that are just you know they've got the skill, but the audience doesn't realize they have the skill. And that's yeah. the weird thing. Uh, I think it was just by repetition, the same thing with the practice. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit. Doing TikToks, a lot of times I'm just doing things to music. And that I have to credit my daughter. She, when COVID started, or a little bit before, she said, you should just get on TikTok. And she explained the algorithm. She explained how to do the hashtags, how to maybe use trending music. And so a lot of my TikToks are just to music, which is a whole different thing than doing a stand-up act that I was used to doing. Um, that was from amusement parks. You did not know how many music. Did you ever do any amusement park work? Like I haven't. I haven't done amusement park work, but I started out as a, uh, a street performer. Yeah. So, so same thing. Yeah. I would do six shows a day. I mean, the first at Auto World in Flint, Michigan, when I first walked over there, got the job. I did seven days a week, not six days a week, three months. I did every single day. I took one day off. Uh, I think that was like 95 days, six, six shows a day. So that's a lot of reps quick. And then the next year I did like, it was a, a shorter season, similar. And then I went to Florida. I did so much amusement park where you're doing six shows a day, five shows a day. And then you just remember the things that people seem to enjoy and then chuck the things that they don't like. And so it was a lot. And then out here, I do a ton of stand-up comedy with the tricks at Flappers Comedy Club, Hermosa Beach Comedy Magic, The Magic Castle, all these venues. I'm, you know, I'm just a regular at. And uh, every show you get a new thing and a new bit, you know, that you can just remember to write down. That's the new bit. So there you go. Yeah. You know, uh, I had Fielding West on here and I couldn't agree more with what he said, but he said it takes a thousand shows. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, and I, and I look back and I was like, well, I've hit that thousand mark and I can totally, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. The, but, and, and, you know, there are those magicians out there that they're extremely skillful, extremely skillful, and no one knows it unless you're a magician. You know, I mean, exactly. It's uh, and, and, and but you catch a lot of those guys instead of being really strong performers, you know, they're they are admired by their peers. And I, like I said, I'm sure you've got those guys in juggling as well, you know. But with juggling, also, I gotta say, I mean, there can't be that much cheating, you know what I mean? I mean, it's it's <laughs> geez, yeah, I mean, yeah. how can you cheat balancing some stuff on your schnoz there? Not unless, yeah, you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I think that the thing that, that, that there's a cheating, the only cheating is, um, it, you know, there's, there's certain things that like really good jugglers can do with pins that I can't do because I decided I'm not going to focus on that because a lot of people have already done it. You think about what have people already done. So I focused on a lot of parasol tricks, a lot of tricks with a tennis racket and two sticks and balancing things on my nose. Before COVID, one of my new tricks that had started for like two, three years was I would challenge the audience. I, if I cannot balance your shoe on my nose, for seven seconds, I owe you $5. And then, then I could just riff on their shoe, be silly with their shoe. You know, if, you know, if, if certain shoes, a, a boot, if I folded it in a certain way, it looked like Jar Jar Binks. 
that provided so much comedy fodder right there that I could, the first 10 minutes was a gift from the audience. And then sometimes people would win and it made it so exciting. You know, once at the Magic Castle, somebody won and then um, the, a woman won with her, with her heel shoe that was difficult to balance. And then um, the husband said, double or nothing. And so I said, yes. And then I won it back, which was great. <laughs> so it's like that balancing a shoe is, is not that difficult. It's a little bit difficult, but I made it a bit and I've never seen any other juggler do it. They're doing amazing tricks, but you find bits that are difficult, but not groundbreaking sometimes. You know, I have some really difficult bits, obviously, but I can't juggle seven balls. A lot of these amazing juggler guys are doing seven, they're doing nine. Um, but a lot of times you run into the situation, a lot of, I'm sure even like with certain venues for magic, the angles aren't good. Same thing with juggling, the ceiling, you got to remember, you might be booked on an event. Next thing you get in there, it's an eight foot ceiling. Half your tricks can be gone if you're yeah. one of these technical guys. Yeah. So that's always something you can, I, I tell people to consider, you know what I mean? You know, that is, that's so true too, because a lot of times you don't know what you're like. I've got a brand. One thing I got out of COVID was I've literally got a brand new hour now, you know, oh, that's of, great. Of, of routines and jokes. And now, unfortunately, I haven't had the platform as, as much as I'd like to, to work them out on stage, you know, uh, that's, that's a work in progress, but there's some, there's some venues that I'm like, well, I probably can't do that there. That stage isn't big enough or, you know, that probably wouldn't work there. So, you know, those are things that we do run into now. Um, have you always been, uh, because like in magic, when I first started out, you know, I wanted to learn all the sleight of hand, all the moves, everything I could possibly learn. And it wasn't until a little bit later to where, I started becoming uh, more interested in the performing side of it. And you said like it was repetition with you, but it, it's kind of interesting now. Like um, I would much rather you mentioned you can't juggle seven balls, but you know what, Michael, I would much rather watch your act any day yeah. than watch some guy juggle 50 balls, you know, well, and be boring, you know, there's, there's a funny video. There's an amazing uh, uh, a champion juggler who works Vegas named Anthony Gatto. I don't know if you ever heard of Anthony Gatto. He's, he's famous in the juggling community. And he did this video on, um, I think it was just on his YouTube, which pretty much articulates this exactly. There's a knock on the door. There's all these kids at his door. And then there's a cut to him. And he looks at the kids and he goes, uh, do you guys want to see a world record? And they're okay. And then they go out to the yard and he juggles seven balls for like 10 minutes. And that's a new world record. And he goes there, there was a new world record. And he's basically explaining world records aren't entertaining. They're not interesting. Nobody cares. The kids kind of look at him like, okay. And then that was it. And he goes, there it is. There's a new world record. And it always makes me think. And I love that video because we, we, sometimes strive to make it harder than it is. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 being entertaining is the best. You know, some people that can, like Steve Martin, which I always liked when I was, when I was 15, I saw him in concert at Pine Knob in, in Michigan. Wow. Where it's 15,000 people. And he's like, a, you know, just this little guy on a stage doing a kind of an intimate stand-up act with it, just regular juggling balls. Of course, there's a big screen behind him. And uh, uh, it, it, I look back on all his tricks now, pretty much every trick he did was something a performer can learn pretty much in their first year of performing. You know, his slights, his juggling, but it was so interesting how he presented it and so funny and so cool, you know, and that always stuck with me. And uh, years later, I was in Florida hanging out with friends and they were shooting the TV show, or not TV show, the movie, Parenthood. And me and a buddy, it was like one in the morning, went down and saw him shooting a scene and he came off set and there was no security. So he said, hey, can we have a picture, Mr. Martin? And uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, we're, we're in our 20s, you know, but we still <laughs> felt like we had to say Mr. Martin, you know what I mean? And he, and he was very shy, very reticent, but completely accommodating. And it was super sweet. And it was very exciting getting a, a photo with Steve Martin. So That's super yeah. cool. Gosh, yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean, you're right. A lot of stuff that, he, he, you know, you look back and what he did, you know, but at the same time, if you look at everything that he could do, 
you know, that oh, he yeah. can do pretty decent, you know. And, well, he's amazing banjo. Yeah, <laughs> he is. You know, it's just uh, that's a super cool story. I mean, that that's one for you got you get to meet Steve Martin. I mean, geez. yeah. yeah. Uh, what what would you say is the most difficult thing to juggle? Because uh, I mean, there's all kinds of objects that you guys juggle. Oh. What is what is known as the really hard thing to do? Okay, here's I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, cheat. I'm gonna do the cheat where people make it seem like doing different weights, like doing a hatchet, a bowling ball, and a smaller object is the hard thing. That's really not that hard. Uh, the the difficult things to to juggle uh, are a half of a bowling ball, not a whole bowling ball. Half of a bowling ball, how it wobbles. Um, water balloons are strangely difficult. Uh, obviously, numbers juggling are very difficult. For me personally, a trick that I keep on working on that is like the great white whale of my show is like I I can spin. A, a burger from one parasol to another, back to the other, but trying to do two burgers on two parasols. I've been working on this for a couple of years. I can get it for maybe three seconds, but I, I know it's feasible, but the mind meld where I have to break my head apart to do it is very difficult. One that I've been, uh, that I just posted the other day and today, which is just doing two tennis rackets on one stick each is kind of tough but I learned how to do that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it for me. I'm trying to think of other things uh, that are, that are kind of tough uh, for me personally. Uh, you know, there's every juggler is different. You know, some guys, they're just, there's a guy named Matan uh, that uh, I can't remember his full name, but I did one show with him and he's also on TikTok. He just has a mathematical brain where he can fuse nine balls into weird patterns this is something that I could have practiced five hours a day from the time I was a kid to now. And I don't think I could have ever done that. That was something about his brain that could do that, which I can't even fathom, you know, so. Now, uh, how good now we all know, you know, all magicians, you know, Penn and Teller are way up there on the, uh, the, the magic royalty list, but we all know Penn Gillette is a, is a juggler. Right. So where is Penn? Penn's a great juggler, right? Is he? He's a good juggler. I'm sure I'm, I'm relatively the same skill level as he is, maybe a little bit more. But he's so entertaining. And because the bit, one of the bits they did in their show, and I've seen their show, I think three times, and I'm actually friends with his wife, strangely enough, through a series of events, which is uh, uh, cool. Because um, we have mutual friends that I would do shows for, and then I would hang out with Penn's wife. Um, the bit, people would juggle three bottles, but I don't know if you remember this bit in their show, he would then smash the bottles and then had this whole uh, monologue about the fractals of the, of the bottles breaking that no three bottles breaking um, are, are, are identical. So every time it's a new trick, it was a really great bit because he's smashing things, which is cool. Then he has these shards on the end. So we, we first think, oh, three bottles, that's crazy, they could break. No, he breaks them and then juggles them. That's why he's great, because he created a relatively easy trick that's still somewhat easy, but made it interesting. He, he brought it alive, and that's great. Now, you said that uh, you, you got your first gig there at the amusement park during yeah. juggling. Now, that was in Michigan, correct? Uh -huh. Now, but what, what led you out to L.A.? What, what made you make the, the big move out to where you're at now? It was just, just crazy. Um, I did amusement parks for many years. I first did, I'm going to go through my history. Let's do this. So let's, let's do, do it. it. I, uh, I, I worked at Auto World for a couple of years. Then I drove out to LA because I'm going to make my mark in LA. And I was here for, I think, a week. And then I'm like, no, I do not know what I'm doing out here yet. Drove back to Michigan, then got a job doing uh, Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida for six months. And uh uh, I don't mean to get saucy, but uh, I shared a dressing room and I heard these huge noises and I go, what are those? And I was right next to where the elephants did a show, an elephant show, and it was elephant farts. <laughs> I heard, by my dressing, can you imagine that your dressing room is near where elephants are farting? That's not <laughs> normal. And the only other thing I, I took from that is the animal trainers would get dressed in the same room we would get dressed in. 
And they looked, they took us aside on like our first day and they said, listen, if you ever see us with the chimps, do not look the chimp in the eyes. The chimp will want to kill you. The oh. chimp will see you and want to kill you. He'll try to bite your neck because they want they want to dominate. So do not look the chimp in the eye. That's like prima donna. That's a prima donna co-star right there. <laughs> Imagine if you can't look Tom Hanks in the eye or, or any of the celebrities. <laughs> do not look De Niro in the eye. He'll want to kill you. So I couldn't look the chimps in the eye. So I did that for six months. And then I uh, got hired at Six, uh, six Flags Over Georgia. So I was three and a half years uh, at the, uh, in Georgia doing shows. And that was fantastic fun. I loved Atlanta. I, LA is my favorite, but Atlanta is, is a close second. I don't know if you've spent any time in Atlanta, but I just oh, love yeah. Atlanta. Yeah, it's I'm, because I'm pretty it's, close. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it was just so fun. Um, and uh, so many great places to eat. I lived right downtown in a loft and there was a, I, I found this loft. This woman had this crazy loft for a, a, a rent and she looked like a crazy lady. She had one neon green sock and one neon orange sock, but <laughs> it was a one bedroom, perfect for practicing. Then I had a little loft bedroom. Come to find out she was a huge chef that had a PBS show and cookbooks called Southern Cooking with Natalie Dupree very famous in the South and, and sometimes even in the cooking world, she wow. was quite the thing. And uh, so I, I rented a place from her for three and a half years and uh, uh, worked at Six Flags and it was super fun. Met a lot of great friends there. And then I, you know, you always wanna up your game and get more money, then travel to uh, Florida to do Universal Studios Florida for a year. Then I went and worked in television because people, while I was doing my show at Universal, a, a TV producer said, I think you should produce TV shows for kids. Can you imagine all of a sudden somebody just walking up? And so then I, I produced uh, a talk show for kids. We never made it to air. And then I wrote a kid's TV show, but it was for Nickelodeon back in the day. And I had to take a pay cut. Like what I was making as a juggler was twice as much as what I was making as a TV producer, which, so I was like, after that, you know, I met my girlfriend and we decided to tour Canada with a show where we wrote a show together and I had my street show. So we went up to Canada and then hit LA. We didn't know where we we're gonna be. We had friends out here and we just said, let's stay. And that was um, I'm like 1994 is when we, said let's stay and then we uh i and then we that was like october november ish we got an apartment then went back and got all our stuff and i consider 1995 january 1st start the work just start the work and that's where and, and i've been here ever since and we've got the wife and uh and the two kids and uh and have been here and i've loved it i love every minute of living in la and and i've got to be on a lot of tv shows and uh Got me on from here. I, I've been on 60 or so TV commercials, not even as a juggler, but as an actor. Um, did a lot of warm up. Here's the thing that I don't know if people know about show business people. There's ancillary ways you can make money. And whenever you see a sitcom that has a live audience, they have a guy hanging out. I did that many years out here, paid well, which was nice. And then I still do shows for kids in libraries. I go to library shows because if I can knock out two or three a day, that's a grand. And anytime I can make a grand in one day, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I primarily perform for adults, but every now and then, you know, if, uh, if, uh, if, if the, the money's right and comes through, heck, yeah. I'll do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. You, you have to take advantage of it. That's, that's incredible. So literally you have, you said you, you were working at some type of job, but then you left that to go to perform full time. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, you know, I was talking about this the other day, you know, the, I think that's the probably the most difficult thing for people to leave that comfort zone to jump to a job and show business because your, your state of mind has to change completely. You have to lose that safety net and go with that hustle, hustle, hustle mentality. Yeah. I, I was, you know, I was a janitor. I mean, not to, <laughs> not to disparage janitors, you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> Lord knows that's a fine thing, you know, yeah. but it's like, I, I felt that uh, the great thing was, you know, the opportunity was, was right there. I auditioned, all of a sudden I got in and it was, I could work as much as I want. So 
I, I went off and running and I started, you know, when I was at the first amusement park, it was 91 days and I took one day off, you know, yeah. um, because it was just amazing. I got, it was basically practicing, getting paid to practice, which is amazing, you know, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's harder because I was, that happened when I was, I believe 20, I was 20 years old when that happened. I think that the real risk, you know, and I think you mentioned being a young father, when you have responsibilities, when you may, you know, you might be married with children. That's the thing that I think is you got to figure out how to, can I do this in the evening and then keep my day job until we know yeah. that the finances will come in correctly. But the great thing is with performing, a lot of times you can have a day job and then go out and do the shows at night, which is great. That's, you know, it, it was like that for the longest with me, you know, but until, you know, I was able to make that transition to go full time. But, you know, I had to make sure I provided everything for my family first. Yeah. Um, the uh, I, now let's do this because I, I, I want to ask you because you've been on a lot of television shows. So uh, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of your experiences on TV. Here's the thing. I, it is. I, I still feel like I have so little experience, but then I look at my resume and it's actually kind of amazing. You, uh, when, when, you when you live it, you forget that it's cool. Like back in the day, the very first thing that happened when I was, when I got on Nickelodeon, just as a writer, then um, through that experience, um, after I was a writer, they said, Hey, do you want to be the, uh, Oh no, actually it went like this. Now I remember how it went. First, I was a, a writer on the show. Then my friend was the, no, I know how it went. I'm sorry. Here we go. <laughs> I was working, doing my show at Universal Studios, Florida. Then they had a show called What Would You Do? Hosted by Mark Summers. It was in the heyday of Nickelodeon, yeah. the Orange Years. And um, they said, hey, do you want to be on the show? And I said, yeah. So I came and did this unicycle bit and a tennis racket bit. And one of the producers liked me. Um, and that's how later on I wrote for, for the show. Then our show didn't get picked up, but then they had, what would you do? Came back again. And then I, um, I got to go on the show again. It was super fun just getting to, you know, meet Mark Summers and be on TV and, and it was Nickelodeon. And even through that, then my then girlfriend, I got to take her resume in and then she got a Nickelodeon show called Guts and Global Guts through me taking her resume in from working on Nickelodeon shows, which is cool. Um, then when we got to LA, I just, I did a TV commercial where I spun a donut on a parasol for a Frank Sinatra CD. And that guy who booked me on that, he knew the talent coordinators over at David Letterman and said, hey, you should have this guy on. Sure enough, they flew me out. And here's the weird thing. It was a uh, boxing day, I think 1996, like the day, like Christmas, it was the, it was the Christmas day night I flew all through the night, but when I got there, here's the thing that's, I forget about big TV shows. Six of you arrive, they're only gonna choose three of you. And that's kind of, I just flew all the way across the country to be told to go home. And uh, we did the, uh, we all did our bits for the producer at the time. And then they go, you, 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 and I was one of them are on the show tonight. And it was so exciting. I mean, the first time, you know, getting to be on David Letterman, you know, I, I was the generation where he was the coolest, you know, yeah. and next thing you know, you know, you're out there, he calls you over, I do the bit. We have a little exchange where he says, uh, happy holidays to me, and I don't say it back, and then he makes fun of me, and it was awesome. And, and uh -huh. I, remem I, I, I remember being so surreal thinking, this is the stage the Beatles were on because it was at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Oh, and I'm my on the God. Same stage. Oh, man. Then, like, a, like a, just a few months later, I get cast in a TV commercial with Ringo Starr. <laughs> and I went to Canada to do a commercial with Ringo Starr. And I'm like, this is a dream. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, okay. 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 I, I've got to ask. All right. First of all, let's go back to Nickelodeon. I'm jealous as hell, Michael, because I always wanted to be one of those kids on those damn shows, you know? Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but then let, let's talk about Letterman, okay? Um, Letterman, you know, he's admired by comedians. I, I love him on the, the comedy side of things. Really, I do. But then I also, I've got this 
there's this little chip on my shoulder a little bit. Now, I, I don't really know, but I remember seeing some of my magic heroes go on Letterman. And it's almost like Letterman would give magicians a hard time a little bit. Uh, did you, was it the same for jugglers or was that just something maybe towards, towards magicians? You know what I'm talking about? I think about? it depends on if you're like a high status magician. Like whenever, like I remember like, I think, you know, Penn and Teller were on and they would give, give it back to him. And yeah. so then it was really great. But I think like some magicians, like, you know, it's obvious when they're trying to force a card and he's not going to take that. He doesn't, you know, if you're obviously trying to do a force, he's, he's not going to like you. But if you're actually being weird and giving it to him, you know, uh, I, I think that was a great thing. Like whenever cockroaches are running around his desk, that's awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. Pitt and Tiller always killed. Yeah. They I'll, always I'll did me. great. You know? So I think, I think, yes. Yeah. So I think it, it just depends on your attitude. I knew enough by being a fan to play low status to his high status. And once he knew that I was playing low status, then he was cool with me. Like Penn and Teller could kind of play high status, low status sort of at the same time, you know? So I think that was it. Why, why it kind of worked out when I was on. Well, that's, I mean, and now it, now you said that you, you remember the Beatles played. Is that something that dawned on you while you were on the show that was, or did you say that was after the fact? I think it was like kind of, I think it might have been after the fact because I because it's like we were the and then I think I remembered oh yes when Ed Sullivan it was the Ed Sullivan Theater the Beatles played on this stage this same stage I'm walking on and then it's like it's just it's just uh, strange <laughs> to think that I'm on this same stage you know and and uh, uh, just also just being so close to Letterman shaking his hand you know and he's a tall guy and you know, it's, it's the, it was my first time on national TV too, which is kind of weird because it's like, it's surreal. It's just surreal. Oh man. I couldn't imagine. Now, then what in the hell was that? That like doing a commercial with Ringo Starr, man. It was um, fantastic. And here's the thing. Um, I don't know if you know the magician, Steve Valentine. Do you know Steve Valentine? I don't know Steve, but I know I've heard the name. Yes. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine now, but at the time I just met him, um, on the commercial because we were doing these commercials together and uh backstory most of the commercials like we did we did like eight of them and mostly they would just superimpose like there'd be like this uh, shot where you would think the celebrity was in the same room with us like it was jane seymour anthony quinn um maybe some sports people i can't remember because there were all these celebrities in these credit card ads but for ringo they wanted us right next to him so we got to fly first class up to Vancouver, Canada. Now he was there and he comes down the stairs and um, we only get to get introduced. Like, hey, this is Ringo. And he shakes all our hands. They set up everything else with his under his, his uh, um, uh, stand-in so that he just had to come down, do the bit and then leave. It's not like we're hanging out, swapping stories, but still even that brief time hanging out with a beetle was really magical and and these commercials are really cool and uh it was like i think we shot for like 45 minutes to an hour and uh then said goodbye and that was that but um the the, the fun part was just being in this big time commercial that played all over and then my friend that i met steve valentine came became a, a lifelong friend and magician actor he's all over the magic castle performing and has a, a new website called Magic on the Go, where it's just a, a clearinghouse to how how to do magic, and you know, and, and now we, I've known Steve because that was twenty some years ago before both of us had kids. So yeah, it, it, it's funny. Then we, we we met and then uh, became friends from that point on. Now, see, it it would probably be that would probably be like the pinnacle. Now, first of all, you've met Steve Martin, now Ringo Starr. Yeah. So I mean debatable that 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 could have topped steve martin but uh <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. true i mean here's the here's the funny thing then i did a commercial the the, the commercial that i did to get on letterman was for frank sinatra cd and this was when frank was still alive and frank was very very um hands-on with everything about his music about his promotion about his life and i said did he have to give the go-ahead or the okay for the performers that were uh, promoting his CD. 
And uh, they said, absolutely. He um, vetted all you performers and signed off on all of you. Now, I don't know if that was true, but they said it was true. So I'm going with it that Frank Sinatra personally approved me. I'm going with that. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a def- that, that's that's a uh, best approval. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, did you say now were you on America's Got Talent, too? Was that another I was. That is correct. I was on America's Got Talent. And that is a whole different thing. Um, uh, I, I'm doing a pregnant pause because it's it's not it's good and bad. And this is why it's bad. You're not there for your show. You're there for their show. And you can't predict how the judges are going to like you or not. The producers were super nice. That worked out great. You're not getting paid like every other thing I get paid on. You know what I mean? And it's two days out of my life. And uh, it's kind of a bummer not getting paid. You know what I mean? Doing a lot of work because it's this competition. The only reason I signed on was because I did have friends that do well on it. I'm sure you know, um, Derek Hughes. Do you know Derek Hughes, magician, good pal of mine? He did really well. My friend, uh, Drew Lynch, who had a stutter, he took second which just launched his career to this other place. I knew Drew when he was just my ticket taker at a show at a comedy club. Now he's just, you know, doing well at clubs and his own videos, et cetera. My, you know, so you can do well, uh, but here's the story. Uh, Heidi Klum helps me with the cheeseburger trick. She throws the cheeseburger onto the parasol, but before she does it, she goes, how do you want me to do it? And she's being kind of awkward. And then Simon gets frustrated and said, just throw the burger. So she starts throwing burgers at Simon, uh, hits his big gulp cup. The audience claps and goes crazy. Finally settles down. We do the trick. Immediately, Mel B buzzes me. You know, Simon doesn't seem interested. I finish the act. Simon's like, "Ah, I'm not sure. Mel B goes, I think I could do that. I don't think that's a a tough trick, which it's, you know, it, it took me years to learn. And she just dismisses it. And Howie Mandel didn't really, he wasn't interested in me. Fine. I did my bit. Me and Heidi did the bit together. I go off stage. They play it on the air, you know, and that I'm not going through. But there's enough footage that I take that footage. And remember when Heidi um, threw the burgers, the audience went wild. So I re-edit the footage for the audience going wild for me. So now it's a win-win. You take what they give you and make it good for you. Everyone thinks, oh, but isn't that illegal? Hey, how they set me up was illegal. They set me up to have these judges pass judgment on this thing that David Letterman liked, James Corden's liked, other people have liked. And now I have these four people, you know, scary spice, not into my mojo. I can then take the footage and do what I will to make it look great. I put it on my demo and people think, oh, that's incredible. So there you go. So it's a win-win. But I tell people, be prepared for it not to go well and figure out it later. I guarantee you, put it on your resume because two months later, nobody cares. So there you go. You know, I, 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 a good friend of mine had a lot of success on, on the America's Got Talent, Ryan Niemiller. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Ryan, it's, it's just really helped his career. And I think there, there's a handful of those people that do very well on there and can continue to do it. But then you also get those people who do okay or may do well. But I'd say there's a lot more to it after the fact that you have to keep the ball rolling. And, and oh yeah, definitely. And like, but what what you what you did was absolutely smart. I mean, take what you got and you know make it work for you somehow. Absolutely, definitely yeah, smart. And- and it works in that then I have clips with me and James Corden, me and David Letterman, you know, and so it's a little bit of everything. And then through my social media, that makes me appeal to casting now that I never realized when I was talking to my agent, having like as a 58 year old white straight male, but having a lot of TikTok and Instagram followers is really important because you have to, <laughs> you have to identify yourself from all the other, you know, white males out there and having the youth is kind of a good thing. Uh, that's impressive. That's right. <laughs> you mean some straight white dude? It's just a, some straight white dude, you know? Yeah, but yeah. hell, he's juggling raccoons and grenades. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well this, all right. 
Every guest on the Abracadam podcast has a story to tell, Michael Rayner. And I tell you what, Michael, we want to hear a hell gig story. You know, there's just so many to choose from, from every performer. Uh, <laughs> I am going to go with being bloodied. Being bloodied, I think, being physically bloodied at a show would be enough. That would be enough. But to have my little children watch me being bloodied at the same time oh. is even better. Uh, so, because uh, there's, there's three I could choose from. I'm going to choose the one where I'm being bloodied. Uh, I got a call at the last minute to come do a special event at a Chabad center. And trust me, I have done many a Chabad. So please, all those out there in the Chabad circle, this is not reflective of you. There's always one bad Chabad, like one bad apple. So consider it not a, a reflection of you. It was this, they needed a show. And I said, sure, but I, I've got my kids. I, they, I can't, they were this when they were littler and I couldn't leave them home alone. So they said, road trip out with me. So I go to this event and uh, um, sometimes I'll have kids throw juggling balls to me. And there was a seven-year-old girl, tiny little girl. And all of a sudden they started yelling, throw the juggling balls at the guy, at me. And so two of the kids that had juggling balls through, and I ducked this way, ducked that way. Who would have thought that a seven-year-old, cause she was only 10 feet away and I had my glasses on, she hit the glasses right here and the pressure of her throw. Now, let me just say this right now. I want to get her on the Dodgers. I don't know if we can <laughs> do some kind of thing where we get a, cause she had a, she had a heater that would, that would rival John Smoltz. <laughs> I mean, it was it, the heat that came off of this. I want, you know, some kind of a radar gun to be here. <laughs> the force that hit right here, dug my glasses in and just cut me right there. I had a nose brisk bringing into the Chabad Center, which I think is, I had a nose brisk right there and blood just starts gushing down as I'm doing the show. And of course, she, you know, she didn't mean it. You know, she apologized. They had her apologize later and I dabbed it and I went on with the show. But my daughters just looked at me afterwards like, you just were bloodied. Why did you keep going? And I said, the check, baby. I want that check. <laughs> That's a work ethic. That's how you do it. That's how you make the money. That's how you do it. So that's uh, it's a, of the three that I have in the leaderboard. That's one of the top threes. <laughs> well, you definitely, I think you showed your kids. That's good work ethics. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jeez, who would have thought the seven-year-old had an arm on her like that, huh? I know, I know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay, I tell you what, let's do this. Let, let, let's, let's ask a thought-provoking question. Um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, during quarantine this past year, you know, it's not been the best year. There has been a silver lining out of it, of course, for you. Um, but uh, if Michael Rayner, could travel to the future and ask, say five years into the future, and ask future Michael Rayner one question, what would it be? So I'm traveling five years into the future and I'm asking five-year future Michael Rayner a question right now. Right now. So, so I get to go ask him, oh, oh we are ready. Because uh, this does not have to be showbiz related, correct? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, so uh, through a series of events and because out here in L.A., uh, house prices are doing really well, uh, we're getting some money to help uh, my wife's mom get a house because she's getting older and she has to. She has an apartment. She lives out here where we live. And uh, figuring out the correct place and will the market keep steady and not crash? Because uh, we're doing this in the next couple of weeks. We're starting to look for a house for her mom to help buy, help her buy because she doesn't have enough money to buy a house. That's what we're doing. And I, I would ask uh, advice, you know, what neighborhoods, where would be correct? Is it still going to be a red hot market? Will we be able to suffer any kind of downtrends? Because it's 
crazy in LA right now. It's just, I don't know if you look on Zillow, it's like, I never thought that I, I the, the smartness that I had future me now going back when we got this house uh, 20 years ago, smartest decision I ever made in my life. I can't not tell you, uh, this, is, this is a long answer, but I'm gonna tell you in 2008, when the economy crashed, if you remember 2008, yeah. that was like, I was, I got probably a third of the gigs, maybe 25% of the gigs from any other year. You know, and if you remember, it was just, it was dismal how much the economy crashed and without this house and the equity we had in this house to help get us through, um, it just it just would have been a disaster. So that same five years in the future, I would ask, are we making the right choices? And I think anytime you're helping your 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 family, I think it's the right choice. I just want to know where should we look, what should we do, what kind of houses should it be, what neighborhood, what's the up and coming neighborhoods? Because when we moved in here, we were like whatever. It was like the whatever neighborhood. And now it's the it neighborhood. So that's the question. So, okay. So that's a no brainer. So, so you're, you're at, you're asking future Michael Rayner a question, you know, it to, for the benefit of your, your family, better benefit for your, absolutely. That's a no brainer. Smart, smart move, smart move. Um, now, before we get out of here, uh, there may be somebody listening who, hell, maybe always wanted to juggle. You know, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. any advice to anybody wanting to get out, get into juggling? I wouldn't even really know where to start. You know, I mean, I guess it's like magic. You pick up a book and you learn something that way. Find somebody to teach you. Any advice? Yes, that is a great question. Here's the thing about when I learned. I don't. I don't. I don't want to shock. I know you might. You might have some young listeners. When I learned, this was before the internet and before YouTube, you actually had to go to the library and get a book and learn a physical activity through images. Can you imagine <laughs> learning to juggle or do magic by going to step yeah. A, step B, do the slight, throw the ball. It's, it's, like, it's like, it's a 2D environment and something that's 3D, it's ridiculous. The internet now is your teacher. This is the great equalizer. I tell every young person, there was a time you had to go to college, even to learn theater, whatever, whatever you had to do because there was no other teachers. You've got a magic device here that can teach you. My, there's so many juggling videos out there. My buddy, Josh Horton has juggling videos. I think I might eventually, if I get my act together this year, kind of go through my parasol spinning. I do minute tutorials sometimes on TikTok. Get, just type in, I want to learn how to juggle. I want to do something on a parasol. I want to learn, you know, the devil sticks, which are the whacking the tennis racket back and forth. And you'll find 10 teachers. Now, now do they, like in magic, you know, like magic conventions, magicians will have lectures for other magicians do, do jugglers do that kind of thing um i think yes i think there are some you know i know there's a bunch of free sites and there might even be some paid sites you know um uh i think it's i do think that it's far more the lecture notes are much huger in the magic community because i have a lot of friends that have lectures that they put out for five dollars or whatever and sometimes you know dollar download tricks which i think is a no-brainer i'd i'd spend a dollar five dollars on lecture notes there's a lot of free juggling sites uh i don't think it's as big but it might be that's one thing i haven't researched okay cool um well i'll tell you what first of all michael this has been a blast and i've really enjoyed talking with you uh, before we get out of here, though, can you let the listeners know where they can find you? I, I know on Facebook, but I anywhere else they can check out some of your amazing, amazing things. The best thing is uh, Instagram. You know, I always repost everything from TikTok onto Instagram. And so I just always say, because Instagram, you get a little bonus because sometimes on TikTok, they'll take down my tricks with fire because there's a terms of service, even though I see a lot of other people that do fire stuff and I don't know why I'm always singled out, but whatever, that's another story. Um, you know what, j just to say real quick, you know what TikTok did to me? This was so strange. I, I got this stupid gag where I, 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 there's a routine in my show where I've got a voodoo doll of myself. It looks like a little miniature me, you know? 
and I, I, I take a, a nice pick and I stick it through the voodoo doll. And, I, and then that turns around and you can see that it's went through the doll and went through my hand, you know, clearly a gag. Right. I put that on TikTok and they took it down. And I was like, are you serious? No, they do that a lot. They do that a lot. I balance a wheelbarrow on my face and I've done it for 35 years and all of a sudden <laughs> they took it down. There's a, there's a, a guy, Mr. Beast, who does stuff. And he had a thing that says, do your coolest thing or whatever. And so I did that trick with something else. And it was up for like, I don't know, um, like a month. And it had massed, you know, a couple hundred thousand views. Next thing you know, I got a thing that they took that down and I tried to appeal and they said, no, you know, they keep a few, few of my favorite things up. It's always very tricky. That's why I usually tell people go to Instagram all my fire stuff's on Instagram. It's just broken juggler, no underscore. It's just broken juggler. You can DM me on Instagram and I respond to my DMs if you want to show or you need some advice or if you need, like some people want to know, hey, how do I get that parasol that you use to spin stuff? I want to try spinning it and I'll tell you where to buy them on the internet. So I answer questions. So broken juggler on Instagram is the best way. That is awesome. And let me say this before we get out of here. For any of those football jocks that picked on you back in the day, I can guarantee you they can't balance a wheelbarrow at 58 Probably years true. old, bro. Probably true. Thank you, man. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Africa Dam podcast, man. This has been great. I'll see everybody later. Goodbye, everyone. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with comedy juggler Michael Rayner. Very interesting guy. Very interesting stories. I mean, my God, the guy has met a beetle. I mean, come on. Um, if you guys can, and I highly recommend you do this, go check him out on Instagram at Broken Juggler on Instagram, and then go check him out on TikTok at Broken underscore Juggler. Uh, I promise you'll be entertained. He just he do, he does some amazing things. Um, also guys, if you haven't done so yet, be sure to like and follow the Abracadam podcast, subscribe, spread the word, let people know. And if you're enjoying these episodes, give us a review, give me a shout out, give, let us know what you guys think about the content. I would love to hear from you. And if you do, I will give you a shout out right here on the Abracadam podcast. And like always, Abracadam, it's thank you for listening.